First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. When Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, All that you say to me I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative, However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you, as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also, he said, Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. If I can't see God, how do I know for sure he's involved in my life? I don't know what the future has in store for me. How will our needs be met? I'm not from here. Will I ever fit in? Will I ever belong? I want to have hope. Who can I hope in? Will a Redeemer ever come for me?
Would you pray with me? Father, we all stand in need of your redemption. We all stand in need of your redeeming grace, no matter who we are, no matter where we have come from, no matter what our life has contained up until this point. And so, Father, we pray you would speak to each of us through your perfect word, through this story in the book of Ruth that you have given to us. Father, would you change us today because we have sat at your feet, because we have listened to your word, because we have met with you, the living God. And we ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, maybe some of you remember the 1999 movie, Runaway Bride. Uh, In that movie, Julia Roberts plays a character named Maggie Carpenter, who was a serial uh, runaway bride. She was engaged over and over, and yet uh, repeatedly she would leave her husband standing there at the altar on what was supposed to be their wedding day. And when someone uh, bails on their wedding at the last minute, or even when someone gets nervous as their wedding day approaches, what we typically call that is getting a case of cold feet. And in a way, Ruth chapter 3 is also a story about cold feet, but these are literal cold feet. Because in the middle of the night, after Ruth takes the blanket off of Boaz's feet, his cold feet wake him up. And it leads to a conversation that will determine both of their futures and eventually ours as well. If today is your first day uh, joining us in this series, let me just kind of quickly recap um, how we got here. This story opens with one tragedy after another. First, there's a famine in the city of Bethlehem, which causes a man named Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons to leave Bethlehem to go to the land of Moab in search of food. And after they've been there for some time, Elimelech dies. His two sons get married to two Moabite women. And then after that, both of those two sons die as well. And so there are three funerals in this family in the matter of 10 years. And all that is left is Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. After that, Naomi hears that there is food once again in Bethlehem, and she decides to go home. And she tries to urge her two daughters-in-law to go back where they came from, to go to the land of Moab, to stay there with their families. And one of them, Orpah, listens to that counsel, but the other, the woman this book is named after, Ruth, famously says to Naomi, I will go where you go. I will lodge where you lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And so she goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And in God's providence, they arrive back in the town of Bethlehem right at the beginning of the barley harvest. In Ruth chapter 2 that we looked at last week, it finds uh, Ruth out in the barley fields and the harvest fields. And by God's providence, he leads her to the fields of a man named Boaz, who is a relative of Naomi's. And this man, Boaz, shows great kindness to Ruth. 
He allows her to glean there in the harvest fields all the way through the harvest season. He, he protects her. He even invites her to his own table. He shows her faithful covenant love. And he believes that the Lord is going to repay Ruth for the kindness, for the love that she was showing to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so at the end of chapter 2, Ruth and Naomi are filled with, with hope. And yet, the chapter ends with something of a cliffhanger. Uh, because the harvest season is over, and yet the last line of chapter 2 says that Ruth was still there dwelling with her mother-in-law. And we, as the readers of this story, do not want the story to end that way. We don't want the story to end with Ruth and Naomi. We want the story to end with Ruth and Boaz. That's the love story that we're all rooting for. And yet at this point, we're not sure how that is going to happen until we come to Ruth chapter 3. And this is where we get to see if the Lord, who has already abundantly met Ruth and Naomi's need for food, would also meet this other need in their life and provide for Ruth a husband. And I believe that sometimes we find ourselves in a place like that in life, where we know that the Lord loves us, where we know that the Lord has a good plan for us, but we just don't know what that plan is. And we don't know how that plan is going to work out or when that plan is going to work out. We don't have the answers to all of those questions because we're not God. And so in the meantime, while we're trusting and while we're waiting on the Lord, what, if anything, are we supposed to do? Well, I believe that the three main characters in this story give us examples of what the Lord would have us to do while we wait on God's loving plan for our lives to unfold. First off, God wants us to plan proactively like Naomi, to plan proactively like Naomi. Now, that does not mean, of course, that we're to be like Abraham and Sarah, who came up with their own plan to have a child instead of waiting on God's plan. We need to do things God's way and not our way. But with that said, trusting and even waiting on the Lord does not necessarily mean that he wants us to sit around and do nothing. That we can be waiting on the Lord in our heart even while we are working for the Lord with our hands. And this is a clear case where the Lord works through the means of Naomi's proactive planning. God brings his will to pass for Ruth through the plan that Naomi lays out. Well, look at what Naomi says in verse 1. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? The first thing I want us to notice about Naomi's plan is that it was a selfless plan. You know, up until this time in the story, as one person put it, Naomi has only been concerned with three people, me, myself, and I. 
And she was only concerned for herself. She was like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh. She was always down in the dumps. Uh, she was bitter that her life had not turned out the way that she wanted it to be. In fact, she was so bitter that back in chapter 1, she actually asked the people in the town of Bethlehem to call her Mara, which means bitter. Now, you're pretty bitter when you want to change your name to bitter. And that's where Naomi has been all the way up until this point in the story. But this here is encouraging because she refers to Ruth as her daughter even though she was her daughter-in-law, and she's treating her like a daughter. She's treating her the way that a parent would in this culture where marriages were typically arranged, and she's seeking to arrange a marriage for Ruth, her daughter. She's saying to her, shall I not seek security or rest for you? And what she means by that is a husband. Shall I not find a husband for you where you can have rest, where you can have security in your future. And it's neat to see that, how God's love for Naomi was beginning to soften Naomi's heart. And she was beginning to think about other people rather than just herself. And, you know, it's true for us as well. When we're bitter in life, when we are in a place where we're filled with bitterness, where we don't think that life is turning out the way that we want it to, typically all that we can see is ourselves. We think about what we want. We think about what we wish we have that we don't have. And yet when God begins to move in our heart, and when God begins to soften our heart, and we begin to let go of that bitterness and that anger, God begins to fill us with love, not only for him, but love for other people as well. And we realize that life really was never about us to begin with. And we realize the paradox that actually life is found when we give it away. When we give it away for God and when we give it away for others. And so again, Naomi is saying here that she wants to find a husband for Ruth. But how was she going to go about that? Was she going to get on Christian Mingle and make a, a profile for Ruth and say, Hi, I'm Ruth the Moabitess. I'm looking for someone who likes candlelight dinners and long walks through the barley fields. No, no, she could not do that. How was she going to, to, to accomplish this? Well, not only was Naomi's plan selfless, but her plan was also clever. You know, I believe that at the end of chapter 2, when Ruth gets home after that first day of working in Boaz's barley fields, and she comes home with so much grain, way more grain than uh, Naomi would have ever thought Ruth would have had in one day. And I think the wheels in Naomi's mind are already beginning to, to turn. Because she told Ruth in chapter 2, verse 20, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. And the word she uses there in chapter 2, verse 20, for close relative is the Hebrew word goel, which means a kinsman redeemer. He was a family member, and he was a particular family member. He occupied a position in the family where he was able to do what Deuteronomy 25 refers to as a Leverite marriage. What, what that means is that he was able to marry the spouse, the wife of a deceased brother in order to carry on that deceased brother's name in Israel 
And he was able to have a child, an heir, that would carry on that family's name so the family would not become extinct in Israel. And what we find out here is that Boaz was, was occupying this particular position in the family, and he was able to perform that role. And so I think that Naomi has already begun to think about this, that possibly Boaz could be the solution to their problem. And yet, as we find out later, there was another man in the family who occupied a closer position than Boaz did, who was a closer kinsman redeemer. And it raises the question of why Naomi sends Ruth to pursue Boaz instead of this other man. Possibly it was because Boaz had already shown great kindness and grace to Ruth and Naomi hoped that he would be open to doing more. But I think it's also because Naomi knows the character of Boaz and possibly the character of this other man as well that we will meet in chapter 4. And Naomi knew that Boaz would do what this other man would not. And that's why Naomi says in verse 2, Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So the harvest time was over. And now it was time for winnowing. And typically how this would work is that they would bundle up the grain at the harvest field. They would carry it to the threshing floor. It would be a a wide area that multiple farmers could use at the same time. And typically they'd use a cart or an animal to grind up this grain, to separate the the kernel of grain from the husk. And and then came the winnowing, where they'd take a a shovel or a winnowing fork and they would lift it all up and throw it up into the evening breeze. And it would blow the, the chaff away and it would leave the kernels of grain right there at the man's feet. And they would gather that up and begin to use that. And so Naomi knows that this very night, Boaz would be at the threshing floor, winnowing his grain. And so in verse 3, she tells Ruth to get ready, uh, tells her to, uh, to wash and to dress as nicely as she could and to anoint herself, possibly with uh, perfume, some Dead Sea delight, and then to go down to the threshing floor to meet Boaz. But she tells her at the end of verse 3, look at that with me, do not make yourself known to the man, until he has finished eating and drinking. Now there's nothing in this text uh, to indicate that Boaz would have drunk to excess here, but the idea is that this was a time of celebration. The harvest was complete, and after the day's work, Boaz would have food and drink. He would be in a good mood. And you know, this is just wise counsel. Whenever you're asking someone to do something for you, it's always better if they're in a good mood. Right? And so teenagers here, right? if you're asking dad to borrow his car for the night, it, it'd be better if he's in a good mood. Bake him a cake or something, right? And Now, he may be a little suspicious if you've never done that for him before, uh, but it's going to go better for you if he's in a good mood. And so this is Naomi's counsel. And then in verse 4, Naomi says, Then it shall be, when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, And he will tell you what you 
should do. Now, this is where the story for us gets a little strange, reading this thousands of years later. Naomi literally tells Ruth to go in, to to pull back the covers, right, to to uncover Boaz's feet and to lie down at his feet and to wait until he says what to do. And again, this seems more than a little odd to us. If someone did this to a man today, I'm not sure he'd have any idea what to do with that. But apparently this was an ancient custom, a nonverbal request for marriage. And it sets the stage for what Ruth will say to Boaz in a few verses when she asks him to cover her with his wings, which again was a request for a covering in the covenant of marriage. This is the plan that Naomi lays out for Ruth. It's a selfless plan. It's a clever plan, but also we need to take this in. It's also a risky plan. I mean, this had the possibility of going very badly. Now, first off, the threshing floor was a place in that culture where a lot of sexual promiscuity took place. And here is Naomi sending Ruth to meet with a man in the middle of the night at the threshing floor. But I think that Naomi knew enough about Boaz's character to know that he would not take advantage of this situation. Of course, it could have also gone poorly because Boaz could have just declined. As we find out in just a moment, he is not the nearest relative to this family. He was under no legal obligation to fulfill this request. He may have thought that by marrying a Moabite woman, he would endanger his good reputation in the community. And so he could have just said, no way, I'm not going to do that. This was the chance that Naomi and Ruth were taking, but they chose to take the risk and to literally cast themselves at his feet and to trust God. And you know, sometimes that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to take a risk, to step out in faith, to do something that doesn't make much sense to us, but it's what God is calling us to do because it's the way that God is going to get the most glory. But I think that sometimes we're scared to do anything dangerous, to do anything risky for God because we're afraid that it might not work out. And if I put myself out there and it doesn't go well, what's going to happen? Here's here's the question. When is the last time that you ever risked something to do something for God? When is the last time that you ever risked something to do something for God? Maybe he's calling you personally to risk something right now for him. And as we're going to talk about in a few weeks, I believe that God is calling our church to greater things. It's going to take some risk. It's going to take stepping out in faith to follow what I believe he's calling us to do in our future. But, you know, I've always loved this quote by the father of the modern missionary movement, a man named William Carey, who said this, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And we can step out and attempt great things for God precisely because we believe in him. Because we expect that our great God wants to do great things. And he is looking for those who believe that he can. So what do we do when we're waiting on God's loving plan for us to unfold? Well, first of all, like Naomi, we plan 
proactively, but then also he wants us to request righteously like Ruth. Throughout this entire story, Ruth is an example to us of godly character. And the way she carries herself in this part of the story is no different. She comes and she meets Boaz at the threshing floor and she makes her request. And there's several things to notice about her request. First off, notice that her request was obedient. Look at verses 5 and 6. She said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. And so she went down to the threshing floor and she did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. So in verse 5, she says to Naomi, I'm going to do everything you told me. And in verse 6, she actually does do everything that Naomi told her to do. And we won't spend long here. But there is a definite application here, especially for every child and every teenager in this room. You know, throughout the book of Proverbs... You find verses like this. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. In a culture that says to you constantly that your parents don't know what they're talking about and that you just need to ignore them and do what seems right to you, the Bible says something very, very different. The Bible says to you that unless your parents are calling you to do something that would dishonor the Lord, that you actually honor the Lord when you obey their instructions. And when you obey their instructions, that you are walking on a path of wisdom instead of a path of foolishness, and that you are walking on a path of blessing. And that is what Ruth discovers here. She obeyed her mother-in-law and the Lord blessed her as she did. Not only was Ruth's request obedient, it was also humble. And I believe the humility of Ruth shines through in this entire book and in this part of the book uh, especially. Verse 7 recounts that, again, Ruth did just as Naomi said, that she hid out of sight at the threshing floor. You can see her there peeking around the corner, watching and waiting until Boaz came and laid down at the far end of the threshing floor beside the heap of grain. And then after he had fallen asleep, you can see Ruth in the darkness of that night tiptoeing her way over to that edge of the threshing floor and sitting down at Boaz's feet. And then she lifts up uh, that to covering, that blanket on his feet and uncovers his feet. And then she lays down there at his feet. Even this position, laying at his feet, was a reflection of her humility. At his feet was a place of supplication, a place that in just a moment she was going to make a humble request. And perhaps it was the Lord who brought a breeze across Boaz's bare feet that caused him to shiver because in verse 8 it says that right at midnight this man was startled and that he woke up. You know, it's amazing how many times in the scripture something startling happens at midnight. In Exodus chapter 12, it was at midnight that the death angel made his way through all of Egypt and took the firstborn son. 
It was at midnight that Samson picked up the city gates of Gaza and set them up on the hillside. It was at midnight when Paul and Silas were in the jail cell at Philippi singing hymns and the prison doors were open. And the Lord says that we need to be ready for his return, whether it comes at noonday or whether it comes at midnight. And here at midnight, There is a midnight meeting between Ruth and Boaz, a conversation that happens that would quite literally change the course of redemptive history. And so after this cold breeze blows upon his feet, Boaz turns over, probably reaches down for his blanket as any of us would do to put it back over his feet. And and yet he is startled, as verse 8 says, because a woman was lying at his feet. This was probably not something that happened every night. And it was shocking. And from verse 9, you can tell that either because of the darkness or because of his drowsiness, he did not recognize Ruth. And he says, who are you? And that's when Ruth says the words of verse 9. I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. The final thing to notice about Ruth's request was that it was a transparent request. In Hebrew culture, it was very clear what Ruth was asking. Unlike and despite what some commentators have suggested, she was most certainly not inviting Ruth, or inviting Boaz to sleep with her that night. She was asking him to take her as his wife. And where it says, take me under your wing, it is possible that the word wing there could be translated uh, garment because in that culture, the idea of of covering someone with a garment was a picture of, of marriage. But I think it's more likely that the word should be translated as it is in my version, take me under your wing. Because if you look back at chapter 2 in verse 12, remember what Boaz said to Ruth the first day they met. In the barley fields. He said, The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And so here Ruth uses that same language. It's almost as if she's saying, Boaz, remember what you said to me? Remember how you prayed for me? Remember how you said that the Lord would take me under his wings? Well, the Lord is taking me under his wings, and you, Boaz, are those wings. And what a beautiful picture of marriage that is. And her request was simple and to the point, as one person put it, if she wasn't outright proposing marriage, she was at least proposing that he propose. And her request was clear to Boaz, as we will see. And you know, since Boaz is a picture of the Lord in so many ways in this book, I think that this is a picture of what the Lord would have us do when we don't know what his plan is, that we come to him in prayer, that we drop down and fall down at his feet, that we make our request plain to him, that we come to him in humility, that we come to him in transparency, and that we ask the Lord whatever is on our heart. The Bible says that we have not because we ask not. And the Lord wants us to draw near to him in prayer and to tell him what is on our heart and through prayer. He will either give us the desires of our heart or he will change our heart. If what we're asking him is not his best for us. 
But let's follow Ruth's example here. Let's request righteously like Ruth. Let's plan proactively like Naomi. And then finally, let's lead lovingly like Boaz. In the same way that Ruth's character shines through in this book, the character of Boaz does as well. Everything that he does in this situation is admirable and exemplary in every way. First, notice that his leadership was honorable. Was honorable. Clearly, this could have been a tempting situation for this man. Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night. Here is a younger woman that is lying at his feet who is obviously interested in him. But notice how he responds. The first thing that he does is to bless her in the name of the Lord. He says in verse 10, Blessed are you of the Lord my daughter. He honors her in that. He honors her both in what he says and in what he does not say. And then if you notice at the end of their conversation, in verses 13 and 14, you can see the way that he honors her by protecting her. He tells her to lie there at his feet throughout the night because being alone in the middle of the night would not have been a safe place for Ruth to be. But then in the morning, actually in that pre-dawn darkness, just before the morning came, he he, uh, tells her to go on home because he wants to protect her reputation. Nothing had happened there that was inappropriate and he didn't want anyone to think that anything had happened there that was inappropriate. Men, this is is the way that the Lord wants us to honor the women who are in our lives. Unlike our culture around us that does not know Christ, God wants us as men to treat the women in our life respectfully. He doesn't want us to demean them. He certainly doesn't want us to abuse them. He doesn't want us to treat them as objects of our own gratification. The word tells us he wants us to treat older women as we would our own mothers and younger women as we would our own daughters. And we need more men like Boaz today, men who will be honorable in all things. And notice also that in the same way that Ruth carried herself with humility, Boaz is also marked by a humble leadership. And and of course, in our minds, we would say that perhaps he had a reason maybe not to be so humble. After all, he was the owner of the field. He was an important man in Bethlehem. He was well-respected by pretty much everybody. And, and, And so when Ruth essentially proposed to him, he could have thought, well, of course, She wants to marry me. I'm pretty much the most eligible bachelor in Bethlehem, right? No wonder she gave me her final rose. But he does not do that. Look again at verse 10. Look at what he says to her. For you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. She says Ruth was showing him a great kindness by by coming to him. And when he refers to younger men, he's referring to the eligible bachelors in Bethlehem, perhaps some of the same men that she had worked with out in the fields. And when he refers to them as younger, I think it also implies more attractive. I think Boaz realizes that he is probably not the pick of the litter, and yet Ruth is coming to him and showing him this great kindness. And so in verse 11, he uses virtually the same words that Ruth used earlier when speaking to Naomi. He says, I will do for you all that you request. And then he tells her why he's saying yes to her proposal. Look at the end of verse 11. 
for all of the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. The, the words virtuous woman there are words that mean a woman of worth or even a bride worth having. You know, you know it's interesting, in, in the Hebrew Bible, the, the book that comes right before the book of Ruth is the book of Proverbs. And so the very last chapter that you would read before you turn the page to the book of Ruth is Proverbs chapter 31. And Proverbs chapter 31 is a description of the ideal wife, a woman of virtue, a woman whose works praise her in the gate. Listen to these last words from Proverbs 31. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing or fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. And essentially, this is what Boaz is saying about Ruth, that she was a walking, breathing, Proverbs 31 woman, that all the people in the town knew that she was a virtuous woman, that her works, in particular, the work that she was doing, slaving away in the harvest fields in order to sustain her mother-in-law, Ruth, that those works praised her in the gates. You know, for any unmarried men who are here today, verse 30 gives a good picture of what should be at the top of your priority list when thinking about who to marry. It says that beauty is fleeting, that it is here today, that it is gone tomorrow. And a marriage that is built on mere physical attraction alone is built on a foundation of sand. The scripture says that charm is deceitful and it is. Someone can be charming one day and can be a holy terror the next. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Boys, find yourself a wife who loves Jesus more than she will ever love you, and you'll be all set. And remember, the important thing to become the kind of man that that kind of woman would be drawn to. You know, the same word that is used in Ruth chapter 3 to describe Ruth is used in Ruth chapter 2 to describe Boaz. He is also called a virtuous man. They were literally a match made in heaven. And he was humbled that she was coming to him. And notice also how his leadership was honest. Even though Boaz wants to marry Ruth and redeem her and her family, there is a fly in the ointment, as they say. Look at verse 12. He says, Now it is true that I'm a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. So Boaz is a Goel. He is a kinsman redeemer. He's able to redeem their land and their family and to marry Ruth possibly. But there is another redeemer, another Goel, who is closer, who is next in line, who has the first right of refusal. And maybe that answers the question of why Boaz, who seems otherwise very proactive himself in this story, does not make the first move because he knew that he was not first in line. But here again, Boaz is honest with the situation. He wasn't going to sidestep the issue. 
He wasn't going to manipulate things. He wasn't going to try to work a way around it. Boaz and Ruth had honored God so far in their relationship, and they would not stop now. And so he says in verse 13, Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until the morning. Boaz was determined to do the right thing and to trust God with the outcome. If God wanted them to be together, then God would clear away every obstacle and God would work it out. And friend, no matter what is going on in your life right now, you are not in the seat of God. You cannot control every circumstance, but God wants you to control what you can. He wants you to honor him in the situation that you are in, to do what is right and to leave the rest up to God. Not only is Boaz honest in this situation, he's also gracious. In verse 15, before he sends Ruth back to her mother-in-law, it says this is what he does. He said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it out. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. And then she went into the city. You may notice that the word ephah there is in italics because it's not in the original Hebrew text. Literally, the Hebrew just says he laid six of barley on her. And more than likely, the unit of measurement that should be supplied there is a sia rather than an ephah. And, and six sias of grain would have still been two to three times the amount of grain she brought home the first day. It would have weighed around 80 pounds, believe it or not. And so Boaz, it says, helped her with it. Either probably put it up on her head to carry it or, or helped her to be able to carry it over her shoulder back home. But throughout this story, Boaz is a picture of generosity. And he reminds us that we serve a God who has been incredibly generous with us as well. And if we would just stop to count them, we will see that our God has heaped up blessings on our heads that we do not deserve. He has been so gracious and so generous to each of us. In verse 16, as the darkness is giving way to the dawn, Ruth arrives back home at Naomi's house. You can imagine what a restless night Naomi would have had. She would have been walking up and down, pacing, perhaps peeking out her window a time or two, waiting for Ruth to come home. And then when she sees her, Naomi runs out and says, is that you, my daughter? And it's clear from the contacts that Naomi recognizes Ruth, and yet she's asking, is that you? She's essentially asking, how did it go, right? Are you still Ruth or are you Mrs. Boaz? And you can see Ruth almost beaming as she relates to Naomi all that Boaz had said and done. And then in verse 17, we learn that Boaz said something to, to Ruth about this gift. These six ephahs of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And I love those words, empty-handed. Because if you remember back to chapter 1 when Naomi was in that place of bitterness that she said to the people of Bethlehem, I went out full and the Lord has brought me back empty. That's the word that she used. And yet now she is not empty-handed. Now she sees that her hands are full with the blessings of God. And then in verse 18, Naomi, who had previously counseled Ruth to take the initiative, now counsels her to sit tight 
and just wait. Verse 18, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he's concluded the matter this day. And again, this speaks to Boaz's character. Naomi knew that he was the kind of man who would not sit around and do nothing, that he was a man of his word, that he would take care of this matter before the day was through. But this also gives us a picture of our own redemption as well, because there's nothing that we can add to it. There's no work that we add to the work that Jesus has already accomplished. No, the Bible says that we need to sit still, to stand still, and watch the salvation of the Lord. We just need to look to Jesus, who has already done it all, and accept the salvation that he has won for us at the cross. As chapter 4 ends, Ruth and Naomi are waiting. They're waiting to see what will happen next. And in a sense, as the readers of this story, we are waiting with them. It's, it's another cliffhanger, isn't it? We, we know that Ruth is going to get married, but we don't know to who. We don't know whether it will be to Boaz or whether it will be to this other man, this closer redeemer that Boaz mentioned. But one thing that gives us confidence is that all along in this story, there has been a closer redeemer than Boaz. And I'm not talking about this other man, but I'm talking about the Lord. A closer redeemer who has been just off the stage, who has been orchestrating everything that has taken place at just the right time to bring Ruth and Boaz together because he has a plan which would reach all the way down to you and to me. Because you know that the real love story in this book of Ruth is not the love story between Ruth and Boaz. The real love story in this book is the love story of God's love for us. And Boaz points us to a greater Boaz. Or as Spurgeon said, our glorious Boaz. Who left heaven and came to earth because he was willing to be our Goel. He was willing to be our redeemer, to pay the price, to buy us back from the slavery of our sin. He was willing to pay the price to set us free because of his great, great love for us. Here is the truth. You are a part of a great love story that started 2,000 years ago when Jesus, your redeemer, died for you. And friend, have you ever responded personally to his love? Have you ever personally received his gift of love into your heart? He, he wants to redeem you, and when you receive that gift of love, he will. And he will adopt you and he will cover you with his wings and he will spread his garment of righteousness over you and he will declare you not guilty forever. And the invitation is open to you to come in the same way that Ruth went to Boaz that night for you to come to God today and to ask him to be your redeemer. Maybe you don't feel worthy to do that. Maybe you feel that there's too much you've done in your life to be able to come to Jesus and to ask him to redeem you. I'm sure Ruth felt the same way. As a Moabitess, as an outsider, she felt unworthy to come to Boaz and to propose this marriage. And yet what we see here is a picture of God's grace. None of us are worthy of Jesus. 
And yet when we come to him, he receives us. He meets us right where we are and he gives us a new heart and he begins the process inside of us of changing us to be like him. Again, you are a part of a great love story, the greatest love story of all. Will you receive his love into your life? Let's pray together. Father, we praise you today for loving us like you do. Even though we're unworthy, even though we are outsiders, Father, you want to bring us inside the covenant of your grace. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who has not yet tasted that grace, that goodness, that love that comes from you, that even today, Father, they would come running to you. They would come running to their greater Boaz. The Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you today in Jesus' name, amen.